Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to another episode of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, and I'm here with you today with the co-author of a really fantastic and vital new book. May I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi there. I'm Regina Jackson. I am one half of the Race to Dinner team. Syra Rao couldn't be with us, and she is the other half. And we wrote this book based on doing dinner since 2019 with white women. We kept seeing the same behavior over and over again. So we wrote a book because, you know, we can only do so many dinners, but lots of people can read the book. And it's entitled White Women, Everything You know, Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. So it's a guide. Mm. Yeah, that title is what drew me in. And when I started to read the book uh, two weeks ago, I very quickly realized like, wow, I'm getting a really good deal right now. Like I am getting the benefit of all of these dinners uh, for for basically uh, for free because of my job. And I am very lucky. So I wanted to really give the book, um, all of my attention and to really use it to, you know, sit with all of the things that white women like me spend a lot of time trying to avoid. Right. Hmm. Um, So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about um, these dinners, about where you met uh, your writing partner and how you decided to turn these dinners into a guide. Byra and I met when she ran for Congress in 2000. 18 against a long time Democratic um, incumbent. Mm. She lost the race, but her whole campaign uh, platform was anti-racism. So every time she would speak, white women would line up to talk about her, talk to her. And Mm. what they wanted to say, essentially, is not me. Mm. I'm not racist. And this went on and on. And I had a former friend who says to me one day, you know, Regina, I'm just done with Syrah. She hates white people. But if you can get her to go lunch with me, I'd really like to talk to her. So I go to Syrah and I say, okay, this person wants to talk to you. And Syrah says, I'm not doing that anymore. She said, I've been spending my money to take these women, to entertain these women. I've been paying for babysitter because she has two young children. Mm. She said, and, you know, they're probably not going to vote for me. So she said, if your friend wants to host a dinner at her house and invite her white women friends and you do it with me, I will do that. So we did a couple of them. And I'm like, you know, Syra, we should start a business (laughs) and we should call it race to dinner because what we saw was the same white women behavior, you know, hurt feelings, eyeball rolls, arms crossed, not me, civil rights resume, (laughs) this on and on and on. So we started Race to Dinner. That's great. Um, It's really has been incredibly valuable for me to read about these dinners through this book. And the one line that really stays with me 
was when you and Syra wrote, um, we know you, white women, better than you know yourselves. And I was like, gosh, that's so true. Because you know what? Like when I was reading it and I felt myself having reactions, literally like a sentence or two later, it would describe exactly what I was going through at that, that moment, you know? And I'm like, yes, you do know me better than I know myself. And it's really valuable to have that outside perspective that can see things that you can't. Well, to be quite honest, you know, for a person of color to survive and thrive in this society, you have to be able to figure out white people, <laughs> you know, what you can say, what you can't say, you know, you have to basically be able to maneuver in a white supremacist society. So that makes us experts on you. It makes total, total sense. Um, you know, and, and all of this, you know, it's never been not relevant, but it feels particularly relevant this week because of things that we saw with the midterm election last week. We had lots of commentators saying things about white women, quote unquote, voting against their own interests. And that model didn't really seem like accurate to me because like it is in their interest. You know, they are like subordinating certain parts of their identity for others in order to gain advantage. And so I think that like the timing around this book is, is absolutely perfect too. Although it, you know, it the timing would have been perfect at any time. So <laughs> yeah, it, it really has been wonderful. Um, you know, when you, when you look at how people vote, I think the elite, and I know everybody uses that term, but the people in power and control like to convince white people that voting for them rather than voting for, let's say, social security and health care for everybody is more important because, well, at least we know you're white. You know, that's been the gig all along. And we're trying to say, you know what, voting against your own interests makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the root of most of the, you know, the defensive posturing that you see is the avoidance of uncomfortable conversations and of what you've termed radical honesty? Absolutely. One of the things, or a couple of the things that we do at the dinner that I think, one of the things we know is that dinner parties and parties with groups of white women, that's your safe space. That's where you go. You know, you love the beautiful set table, the wine, and who wouldn't? But you're not going to get up and walk away from the table because that would be rude. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, white women are taught and trained to be nice. Now, what does nice mean? You never confront anybody. You never talk about hard issues like race. You know, you never leave the dinner table in a huff. So we basically, once you sit down at the dinner, you're there to stay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, encouraging people to sit with discomfort or with truths that they've been avoiding for a long time is... Um, a necessary prerequisite, right, for, for encouraging people yeah. to get past these, like, defensive mechanisms that kind of keep them, uh, you know, safe, quote unquote, from the truth. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this idea of white women and niceness, because I personally 
found myself identifying with so much of this because my family and every white family puts a lot a, of a, 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 a large premium on maintaining the peace, which is like aesthetical. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a difference between being nice because white nice is harmful. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's harmful is you never speak up when things are wrong. You never confront people when they're hurting other people because you've been taught to be nice. Now there's a difference between being nice and being kind. Being kind means you speak up for someone who's being mistreated, right? Mm -hmm. That you're there for other people, but that's not the same thing as white nice. So we like to, you know, make sure that people understand there is a difference. You know, niceness keeps women in their place. Mm. Niceness keeps women from confronting their male bosses on sexism, on wage discrimination, all that niceness, as Cyra likes to say. So what has nice really gotten you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. More of the same. Yeah. More of the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think at best, maybe a false feeling of safety, you know, like it is because one of the things that I was thinking about when I was reading was that, you know, when we attempt to avoid discomfort by not saying things, by staying silent, um, like we're not really avoiding it. Like it's still uncomfortable, you know, like and so once you're aware of that, like you might as well be uncomfortable in the direction of change rather than the uncomfortableness that you're, that is familiar and seems safer, you know? Yeah. Well, we have a big announcement today. Um, Deconstructing Karen was actually the documentary that was filmed by Patty Ivins with PB&J Productions. It is being released on Thanksgiving Day on iTunes. So you can watch it with your whole family. You can talk about it. You can, I know the book has given you ammunition to Mm. confront the Karens and the racists in your family. Use Mm -hmm. the documentary to do that. Mm. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a perfect release date uh, in order to really, um, because that is when all the uncomfortable conversations yep. don't happen. You know, it's over the thing. That's right. People. That's right. Because everybody's trying to be nice and nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. And that that's one of my pet peeves. Um, white women are so up into their feelings. Mm-hmm. We don't have the luxury of saying, I don't think I've ever heard it in my 72 years, a black woman say to me, you hurt my feelings because nobody cares. Okay. Your feelings are the universe talking to you about work you need to get done. So stop holding other people responsible for what you feel. Mm, That's super duper important. And I think a particular tip that has really helped me reframe some things because um, it shows that this work, you know, and I think this is revealed in the title because as you said, it's stuff that we already know. Um, It's Mm -hmm. like, it's not just intellectual work, like it is emotional work too, because you can intellectualize something to the end of the world, but then never really like uh, integrate it and activate it. And like part of emotional intelligence is realizing that you're responsible for your own feelings and that they're not other people's problems. And, you know, something that I found really valuable is to like, look at those reactions and those feelings 
and try not to label them, but to take them as information. Like, so what is it telling me that I am reacting in this way or getting Mm -hmm. defensive Mm -hmm. or, you know, or thinking like, well, that's not something I've done, you know, like, and all thoughts are, are there to keep, to keep me safe and from learning the lesson and from doing the work, you know? Yeah. One of the things I know is that there is no growth without change. Okay. And there is no change without pain. So in order for you to grow, you're going to have to experience pain. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to integrate it. And I like to tell white women, if you are going to be in this work, okay, two things that you're going to give up white solidarity and white social capital. Okay. Because other white people are going to be pissed that you're talking to them about racism, okay? And this is lifetime work. It's not gonna be easy. You're gonna lose friends. You're gonna lose family members. You may even lose jobs. So there are no wins. When you decide to step into an anti-racism space, there are no wins. You know, you don't get pats on the back. And this is how I look at it. Why is it so hard to be a decent human being? Mm-hmm. or fear I imagine and yeah. wanting to cling to safety yeah yeah that fear of you losing uh social capital and white solidarity you know and people have actually told us that you know I'm afraid I'm not going to get invited to the next <laughs> big party or whatever you yeah. know and I just I just think that as a human being that's a real sad way to live. Mm-hmm. Yes, it really is. And, you know, like it, something that I realized for myself too, when, you know, thinking about my own, the, the, the ways in which I try to cling to safety, um, they are one, they're all illusions. And two, um, like it, it's the opposite of radical honesty, you know, like, because <laughs> exactly the piece rests yeah. on lies, you know, so it, it's, it's not real. <laughs> That's why we said, you already know, you know, quit pretending like you don't know, cause you know, and the great Jane Elliott, who I am such a fan of, in case you don't know, do you remember brown eyes, blue eyes? You remember Jane Elliott? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she always says when she goes out and talks to audience, she says, okay, all you nice white people who would trade places for with a black person in this society, please stand up. Mm-hmm. And when nobody stands up, she says, oh, you didn't understand the question. Let me repeat it. Nobody stands up. She said, so, you know, mm-hmm. and we know, you know, <laughs> so quit pretending like you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so a, a lot of what appears in this book uh, are the lessons that you are imparting to us, um, experiences with white women at these dinners, but there's also a lot of stories from other uh, minoritized people who have experienced yep. racism yep. at the hands of white women. And something that I was curious about was um, what it's like collecting these stories for you and for them, because it's hard work to listen to those stories and to tell them. So what do you do to support yourself and your conversation partner when you're collecting material? Um, 
you know, these women and, and the feedback we're getting from women of color all over the, Canada and U.S. where the book has been, they feel seen, mm. they feel affirmed, they feel acknowledged. And, you know, everybody wants to tell their story. Mm. And, you know, I think that, that that is what most people want to do. They want someone to listen why they tell their story. Now, the stories are so alike, right? You know, just the harm that has been done, just in the way white women treat women of color in the workplace. So they're, they're feeling real affirmed right now. Hmm. Okay, that's great. Yeah, because I imagine that under different circumstances, um, and this is something that a lot of them speak to, is um, there is danger itself in telling yeah. the story to an audience that you don't know is going to be safe. And often mm-hmm. there have been such dire repercussions for trying to tell your story. So um, mm-hmm. I imagine, yeah, it must be a major relief to sort of like know that you yeah. have space to tell yeah. them. And Syra and I, you know, we, we've been threatened just for saying white people. Mm-hmm. You know, we, people have come over, come after us. Um, you know, we've had threats when we did our book release in Denver, we had to have um, security. And I'm talking about an, an in-uniform policewoman and an undercover former FBI agent. So that's how hard it is to mm-hmm. talk about race in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could say that surprised me, but it doesn't really in the yeah. current climate that we live in. Um yeah, that was another question I had. Um, it sounds like navigating the reception has been incredibly, incredibly difficult. And I'm wondering, how do you navigate um, the the line between uh, promotion, getting your story out, letting people know mm-hmm. about the book, and your own safety? Um, one of the things that we have decided not to do is uh, a book tour, you know, mm-hmm. where we go to all these different cities at bookstores. We've just decided not to do that because of the inherent uh, physical danger. But we will do Zooms with people. We will sign books, you know, and we'll, we'll do whatever. The book has just kind of taken off. Now, knowing white women, it can certainly be a trend. <laughs> you know, it's trendy to have this book. Mm-hmm. But what I'm so looking forward to, Jen, is people like yourself bringing women together to have radically honest discussions about this is what I felt. This is how it impacted me. This is what I'm doing differently and getting people to do the work. And and Syra loves to say the bar is so low for white people, it's underground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so have the discussions, do the work. And the biggest thing, my biggest ask of white women is use your power to speak up when you see other people being harmed. How mm-hmm. hard is that? Mm-hmm. What, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it kind of speaks to the point from before of like, you're going to be uncomfortable anyway. You're going to be scared. You're going to feel vulnerable and not safe. So why not do it in the direction of change rather than stasis? You know, and I'm really glad that I have this book like at this exact moment heading into the holidays where I do have something <laughs> that I can share with people and they have to accept it yeah. because they're nice and that they, you know, they, 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 
down from me. So <laughs> here's what I know about fear. Fear stops us from being the human beings we're meant to be. So whenever you're feeling fearful of something, you need to just walk right into that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's incredibly valuable information, fear. And I think like when you think of it that way, it becomes almost something to seek out rather than avoid yeah. because it's that's how you grow. Yes. That's how you grow yeah. as a human being. And I'm a believer is that we are all here to do our own personal growth and then to help other people. That mm-hmm. That's what I believe. And you know what? I think for a long time, I saw those two, uh, those two journeys or goals as completely compartmentalized, completely separate. And you can't really extract them. Like you need to do the personal work in order to do the work in the world and vice versa. You know, like you can do as much thinking about who you want to be. Um, but like, unless, until you start doing things in the world, you know, you haven't actually. Right. Changed, so something I read a long time ago and I always, it always sticks with me is um, all we have to give to each other is who we are. So make yourself the best gen you can be. Mm-hmm. And that is so uh, honestly, like really empowering and liberating too, you know, like it's, um, it's, it's good to be reminded that you have agency, because I think a lot of our, our uh, hesitance to do these things comes from a sort of like also constructed image of us having no agency whatsoever, right? You That's know? right. That's right. To lean into when we don't want to do things. Yeah. So, yep. Something and that it I- gives you an out. If you don't believe you have any power, it gives you an out. So, mm-hmm. you know, rather we just had a dinner um, with the day the day after the book re- was released. So we had one on November 2nd and there was a young woman there and she was talking about how, you know, she had a child in elementary and she had called the school and wanted them to have some books that were more inclusive and represented of the cultures. And they told her no, and that was it. She quit. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, something that I think was really demonstrated for me with this book too, is that about how much uh, of white, of what white women think they are contributing is a, uh, a performance, you know? And I think that that's Bingo. another. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that that is also related to this like idea of radical honesty too, because um, you have to really embody your truth in order to speak it. And you can't just like, you know, there was something that I found myself doing leading into this interview, you know, like I was reading the book at first and I'm like, this is great. It's teaching me all the things not to say. And then I got to the part where it's like, you have to be wrong sometimes. And I was like, oh, Yeah. You know, like it's hard, but like it is like so freeing is that you don't have to like commit yourself to a performance of perfection that doesn't exist, and that like perfection. That's your, right. Your growth yeah. is going to come from being imperfect. So, yep, that's where you learn is from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's where you learn is from the things that you do wrong. And you look at people who are entrepreneurs. Boy, they have so many mistakes, but they keep going because they're committed. You know, you have to be committed to racial inclusion to do this work. Mm. Do you think a lot of this also speaks to, um, like another thing I thought about was 
your discussion of, of toxic positivity and how that might actually be the opposite of something like hope, you know, which I think that you is pretty important to the work because you have to yeah. sort of believe that your work is going to have impact, even if you like don't see it in yeah. your time. And do, I'm wondering, like, do you see this positivity, this toxic positivity as being um, like, I guess the an- antithesis of like a sort of practice. It is hope, hope as praxis almost, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, it's performative. Oh, you know, we're just going to be happy, happy and go along. You know, if you look at black people in this country, I think the only reason why we're still here is hope. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to continually hope that things are going to get better. And I think when you lose hope, you're really lost. But this um, toxic positivity, um, it's a problem. It's yeah. a problem. And, and like I say, I believe it's performative too. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely performative because I think it it, it it keeps you from experiencing your own negative emotions and also discounting yeah. those of the people around yep. you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this has been like so incredibly interesting and so valuable. And I am really excited to see what you and Syra do next. And I was wondering if there's anything that you can speak to about what's on the horizon for you both. Well, actually, we are packaging some children's books. Right now, we have uh, five of them that are almost done. They'll be introduced in 2023. And they're all entitled Race to the Truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Written by the one about Indigenous people is a woman from the Wapana tribe in Massachusetts, Martha's Vineyard, where the pilgrims, you know, landed. So they're being written from a cultural perspective of each of these groups. So we're excited. They're middle school books. We also have one that is probably an elementary school picture book. So we're excited to be working on that. That's fantastic to hear. And I think that that is such a good direction to um, go from the white women book, because I think something that you talk a lot about in that book, too, is about like white parenting, you know, and giving white children access to these stories. And so this is a really, a really very valuable question. So we're excited about it, Jen, and we're excited about people like you who have the ability to touch people in your community and bring them together. I really want to hear about these discretion groups that you have around this book. I'm excited to hear how those go and how people's thinking is and what their commitment to change is. So I'm really excited to hear that piece of it. That's great. I am very excited too. Like I can't wait to bring this book to people and then you know, have something to talk about too. And I think another really valuable, valuable thing about it too, is that sometimes these topics can seem so large and so um, unapproachable and having an inroad is, is incredibly valuable, you know, and it's such a good introduction to much, very, very big and very, very urgent ideas. So, well, just think about it. Just think about If every white woman who saw someone, just like, you know, if I were to hit my dog out in front of my house, there'd be 20 white people out there. If they saw a person of color being harmed or or denigrated 
or whatever, and they spoke up. Think what a change that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that white women need to realize too that uh, even though the work is hard, like it's at some point, like it it becomes a little bit less hard because I think I'm trying to think of how to phrase it, like what you haven't done yet always seems too large to imagine. You Monumental, know, like, does it? Yeah. And once you try, it becomes more tangible, more um, digestible and less intimidating. And I think that really mm-hmm. a lot of it is just getting over that first hump of like not being on the outside anymore and, you know, putting yourself on the inside. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's not that hard to do. It really isn't. It's when you call a thing a thing, number one, you know, number two, speak up, use your voice. There is power. I was just reading something today and it was talking about, um, you know, the whole universe is um, connected. We know that through energy, okay? Um, that every time you talk, your voice sends out molecules of power and energy into the universe. That's amazing. So use your voice and use it for good. Mm. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm really, really incredibly grateful that you made the time to talk to me and that you and Syrah have written this book because, you know, something that I want to tell people, other fellow white people, is that it is such a gift to be put in a place and I forgive my language, where you can no longer avoid your own bullshit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thank and, you. Wait, you know, <laughs> I think we said that in the in the preface or in the, um, <laughs> what we dedicated to women of color who are tired of putting up with white women's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being, yeah, just like actually looking at it and and learning how to sit with discomfort is, really powerful and I I thank you I'm going to show you my shirt and here's what I want to leave you with (laughs) but did you die oh my gosh that's That's right yeah chances (laughs) are no no that's right right. thank you so so much Um, thank you for having me Jen it was lovely to talk to you and keep doing what you're doing you're an inspiration Thank you. I will. And, you know, when your children's books are out, like if you would, you know, like to come back to the show and talk about those, our doors are always open. So Thank you. Have I'll- a wonderful day. You too. Bye now. Bye. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.